0: So the beginning of these covenants, the beginning of the opportunity to fully enjoy these covenants, uh, begins with this mosaic covenant. So we're going to first get the purpose, and then we're going to look at the conditionality of these covenants. So we see first in Genesis 15, uh, actually intertwined with the promise given to Abraham, that covenant ratified with Abraham of the land and the seed and the blessing, we see that God had already foreknown their Egyptian captivity. He says, God said to Abraham, or Abram, know for certain that your descendants will be strangers in a land that is not theirs, where they will be enslaved and oppressed 400 years. But I will also judge the nation whom they will serve after, they will come out with many possessions. And this captivity came to be. In Genesis 46, we read about them entering into the land of Egypt in order to live there. So God spoke to Israel in visions of the night and said, Jacob, Jacob. And he said, here I am. He said, I am God, the God of your fathers. Do not be afraid to go down to Egypt, for I will make you a great nation there. I will go down with you to Egypt, and I will also surely bring you up again, and Joseph will close your eyes. Now, these covenants are often uh, correlated with what we call dispensations, and dispensations all begin with God giving a rule of life or a, a dispensation to mankind in order to rule over uh, the earth uh, on God's behalf, and included in those dispensations is always some sort of failure that causes another dispensation to be brought into being. Um, So people will try to identify what was the failure under the Abrahamic covenant. A lot of them point towards the departure of the land of Canaan, which God had promised to Abraham uh, and choosing instead to live in Goshen. Now, this is hard for me to to accept because here in Genesis 46, God does bless their going down into Egypt. And it looks like God has a purpose of one going down into Egypt. Now, I think uh, I think the failure under the Abrahamic, or the uh, we call it the dispensation of promise, I think that happened more by the way they were conducting themselves in the land that God had given to them. Uh, so God is bringing them into Egypt to safeguard the nation in order for them to grow into a nation before they enter into the land of Canaan because they weren't being very responsible and they were coming under constant threat, uh, creating enemies basically everywhere they went. So in Genesis 46, we see that Israel is going to be kept apart within Egypt. So it says, when Pharaoh calls you and says, what is your occupation? You shall say, your servants have been keepers of livestock from from our youth, even until now, both we and our fathers, that you may live in the land of Goshen, for every shepherd is loathsome to the Egyptians. So we're told when Joseph and his brothers all went to Egypt, they were told to tell the Pharaoh that they were uh, shepherds, because shepherds are a low class in Egypt. The Egyptians would not mingle with them because Uh, They were dirty uh, shepherds. This was used by God to protect his people, to keep them a people and not having them mingling with the nations surrounding them and the gods that those nations served. But uh, here in Genesis 34, we've got one of the climactic events that caused this separation from the land of Canaan to be necessary. And that comes to us through the story of the rape of Dinah. And a lot of things happened during the story. It's it's an interesting chapter. It doesn't really seem to fit in the overall narrative, uh, but we see it's, it really does fit as, uh, as a central idea, which the other narratives circle around. So here, uh, let's read these verses one through three. Now, Dinah, the daughter of Leah, Whom she had borne to Jacob, went out to visit the daughters of the land. When Shechem and the the son of Hamor, the Hivite, the prince of the land, saw her, he took her and lay with her by force. He was deeply attracted to Dinah, the daughter of Jacob, and he loved the girl and spoke tenderly to her. So we see that this daughter of Joseph, or this daughter of Jacob, rather, had been raped by a Hivite who was living in the land around them. Uh, this Hivite's name was Shechem, and the the area of Shechem is, uh, is one you'll recognize throughout scripture. In fact, I just saw it pop up again in my reading in Second Chronicles around the time of Solomon. Um, so Shechem actually becomes a very prominent name in that land. But we see here, back in the history of Israel before they were even fully formed into a nation, we see them mingling with these people whom later they would come in and conquer out of that land. And God God used this for a purpose because he wanted them to separate from these nations so that they would not share in the same uh, defilement that these nations were creating through serving other gods. And we see that every time Israel mingles with other people, Rather than converting those other people, they tend to be converted to their gods. So God has to get them out of this land. So he's allowing them to be uh, rebellious with their promise, to be irresponsible with their promise, uh, in order that he might bring them out of this land to make them become a nation. We looked at this a bit when we uh, were in Numbers, looking at uh, the, the prophecy of Balaam when the king of Moab saw people of Israel coming towards his land, he saw that they were such a massive people that he wanted Balaam to prophesy against them or Balaam to prophesy against them uh, because he he feared whether or not he could conquer them. Well, at this point, 500 years, 400 years before that, uh, it was a question whether or not the surrounding nations could conquer or destroy little Egypt that existed of maybe about 500 people, including all of their servants and slaves. But uh, we see this tendency of Jacob and Jacob's sons to depend on the flesh to bring about their circumstances rather than depending on God. And that's something that he's going to be slowly uh, attempting to cure throughout Israel's history, but uh, hasn't yet brought them into that faithfulness where they depend on God. Though some have, like uh, Daniel and, we're not Daniel, uh, well, Daniel, yes, but David and Solomon, Solomon at the beginning of his life, uh, where they are depending on God to bring about his own purposes. So here we see two of Jacob's sons taking on themselves rather than depending upon God, uh, to rectify the circumstances of the rape of Dinah. So we read, But Jacob's sons answered Shechem and his father Hamor with deceit, because he had defiled Dana the Dinah, their sister. They said to them, We cannot do this thing to give our sister to one who is uncircumcised, for that would be a disgrace to us. Only on this condition will we consent to you. If you will become like us, and that every male of you be circumcised, then we will give our daughters to you and we will take your daughters for ourselves and we will live with you and become one people. But if you will not listen to us to be circumcised, then we will take our daughter and go. Well, it is that they answered them in deceit and it was very deceptive of them uh, because what they ended up doing was waited for all of them to, to be circumcised And while they were still weak and feeble and unable to defend themselves, Levi and Simeon came in and killed every one of them. So we read, all who went out of the gate of his city listened to Hamor and to his son Shechem, and every male was circumcised, all who went out of the gate of his city. Now it came about on the third day when they were in pain that two of Jacob's sons, Simeon and Levi, the last brothers, each took his sword and came up the city unawares and killed every male. Then Jacob said to Simeon and Levi, you have brought trouble on me by making me odious among the inhabitants of the land, among the Canaanites and the Perizzites, my men being few in number, they will gather together against me and attack me and I will be destroyed. I and my household. But they said, should he treat our sister as a harlot? So again, they they depend upon their own power rather than depending upon God, and that was really the issue that needed to be fixed here. God put them into the land of Egypt so that first they could learn to depend on Him rather than depending on their own means to bring about uh, the possession of this promised land. But also because uh, they were causing trouble for themselves in the land when they were still too weak a people that in in serving the flesh rather than serving the Lord, uh, they were uh, they were honestly in in danger of being wiped out in the flesh. Uh, but what they did uh, was particularly atrocious. Uh, they used God's covenant sign with them, uh, the covenant sign to possess the land, uh, in order to commit treachery in the land it would be like christians using a baptism ceremony as uh, as the means of drowning people uh it's it's not only odious to all of the people around as as jacob says but uh, it would be quite odious to god to use his his sign of his covenant promises with them to basically say no god we got this handled and we're going to use your sign to do it uh it was honestly it, it, your heart sinks when you read this passage uh but we go back to genesis three quickly here and see why this was important the seed of the theocratic administrator why this people needed to be protected in the flesh despite the fact that they are constantly unfaithful to these co- covenants So we read, and I will put enmity between you and the woman, this is God speaking to the serpent, and between your seed and her seed, he shall bruise you on the head and you shall bruise him on the heel. We see that there are two seeds in conflict here. There's the seed of the serpent and there's the seed of the woman. And although this is speaking of a spiritual seed at times, especially uh, when we see the serpent's seed, uh, this is not able to be spiritualized and that is really the purpose of the second half of genesis 4 all of genesis 5 genesis 10 the second half of genesis 11 the entire book of numbers the entire series of the chronicles and the kings the whole purpose of tracing this genealogy is to lead to this one promise this one promise of the seed that seed who would crush the head of the serpent so in Genesis, we see this seed being traced all the way from Adam up until um, Jacob, and Jacob's first son, Reuben, loses the inheritance because he sleeps with Jacob's wife, his mother. Uh, Simeon and Levi lose their, uh, their inheritance, probably because of this incident of the rape of Dinah, just in the same way that David was not allowed to build the temple of God because his hands were hands that were used for shedding blood. So Simeon and Levi were passed over and instead Judah was given the kingly line uh, that would lead to David and eventually to Jesus. But uh, we have in Exodus this account of Moses, who was a Levite, who becomes a theocratic administrator. Now he can't be the final king because he doesn't come from the line of Judah. So Moses should never have been, and to the Jews, was never, uh, was never conceived of as this, this seed, this answer to the promise. But he was given a particular rulership over these people. Uh, in fact, Joshua would become the next one, and Joshua was from the line of Ephraim. So uh, Israel, if they are consistently looking to the promise of God, will be looking for a king who comes out of judah and when they get david they found that Uh, but up until that point they are only uh, encountering administrators not kings so in their affliction in egypt uh, if i can regroup my thoughts here uh, let me read this the lord said i have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in egypt and have given heed to their cry because of their taskmasters for I am aware of their sufferings. So I have come down to deliver them from the power of the Egyptians and to bring them up from that land to a good and spacious land, to a land flowing with milk and honey, to the place of the Canaanites and the Hittites and the Amorites and the Perizzites and the Hivites and the Jebusites. God is bringing them back to the same land that he pulled them out of. He, he basically brought them out of Cain, put them in an incubator, protected them until they were ready to receive his promise through covenant faithfulness. Now we all see that God has come down to deliver them from the Egyptians. He is coming down to deliver them physically. The Exodus generation departed uh, in Exodus 12 on the night of the Passover and throughout uh, throughout the the plagues that are brought on Egypt, it's easy to focus on God interacting with Pharaoh through Moses and and, uh, and Aaron. But it's also very helpful to focus on what is, what is going on spiritually and physically among the people of Israel. The leaders are the first ones to come to believe Moses, that God has sent him as a prophet or as a as a ruler or a leader, here, uh, but it's not until uh, Exodus 14 that we get the actual declaration that all of Israel believed. However, here in Exodus 12, on the night of the Passover, we're all instructed to paint their doors with blood um, in order for the, the angel of Death to pass over their house and to enter only into uh, the Egyptian houses. So we see that they acted on a faith, even before that faith is told to us. With Abraham, it happens the same way. In Genesis 15, it says, uh, Abraham believed the Lord and it was counted unto him as righteousness. Well, that belief is something that happened prior to that moment it was reported. Uh, And that belief is, is the belief on which eternal salvation rests. But we see that it has physical consequences in the way that they act. So here in Exodus 14, we read, thus the Lord saved Israel that day from the hand of the Egyptians, and Israel saw the Egyptians dead on the seashore. When Israel saw the great power which the Lord had used against the Egyptians, the people feared the Lord, and they believed in the Lord and in his servant Moses. We have confirmation here in Exodus 14, that every single people of the nation, every single person of the people of Israel believed in the Lord. And in fact, the crowds, the mixed multitude that came with them, we also have this guarantee for them. And that's important because God has not yet given them the law, He has not yet covenanted Himself with these people, yet their salvation is secure. In fact, we, we can see throughout, uh, throughout the history. Uh, recorded in scripture, that God never covenants himself with people who are already saved. The salvation of the people is necessary in order to begin a covenant. So here in Exodus 18, uh, we see that Moses becomes the theocratic administrator over Israel after he is faithful in following God and bringing them out of the land of Egypt. And this happens in, the, in a scenario here that's very much like the way it happened with Abraham, where Melchizedek comes and, uh, and blesses Abraham. So, uh, so Abraham's father-in-law, Jethro, comes and blesses him prior to him receiving the law from God. Uh, so we read, Moses said to his father-in-law, because people come to me to inquire of God when they have a dispute, it comes to me and I judge between a man and his neighbor and make known the statutes of God and his laws. Well, Jethro says that's too much for you to do. Uh, You're the one conduit between these people and God, but rather have yourself the conduit between masters you put over them. So he says, Moses chose able men out of all Israel and made them heads over the people, leaders of thousands, of hundreds, of fifties, and of tens. They judged the people at all times, the difficult disputes they would bring to Moses, but every minor dispute they themselves would judge. So we see them here now organized as a nation, having law, or having a structure through which to judge the law. But... Moses being the one man at this point who is in contact with God receiving God's word for Israel and having put these other men over over the nation of Israel it's necessary for them to have some sort of a constitution which they can hold so that is going to really be the purpose of the law given to Israel it is a constitution we can call it the rule of life for living within Purposes of God as the nation of Israel. This is very important. This was given to the nation of Israel and it cannot be applied to any other body of faith besides Israel alone. There is constant mangling of the scriptures trying to say which laws apply and which laws do not apply to the church. I can say with absolute confidence not one word of the Mosaic covenant applies directly to the church. Only so far as the law of God which is above the law of Moses, applies to the church. But that law of God is given to the church in the epistles. And it's given as the law of Christ, which is to love God and to love your neighbor. This is detailed within the epistles so that we come to incredible difficulty interpreting the word of God when we try to mix purpose of the Mosaic covenant Given as a national constitution for Israel of how to live as a theocracy, with the people of all nations of the church not having a head that is the human, but a head who is Christ. Trying to put them under the Mosaic law uh, is really one of the biggest sources of, of division within the body of Christ because everyone has a different idea of which laws do apply and which laws don't apply. Uh, so it's, it's not only easier, but it is correct to rightly divide the word of truth, to understand the purpose of the Mosaic Covenant, that it has absolutely nothing to do with how one becomes saved, but it is given to a body that was saved and told them how to maintain the purposes that God had for them as a distinct people of his purpose.